0: Thank you, Lord, again for this day. Thank you for using me here to impart your wisdom, your word, your truth, your grace. Help it to take root and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. The Gospel of Matthew. The first Book of the New Covenant. How's that? Matthew chapter 9. Verse. 35. I'll through 38. Matthew chapter 9. Verses. 35 through 38. Everybody say Amen? Amen. Got it, okay. I was stalling till I found it. (laughs) And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. How many of you know that as Christians we have a part to play? We do. It's a relationship. And just like any relationship, it takes two. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he had finished his saving grace on the cross, he said it is finished. He finally found a place to lay his head. Went down into hell briefly. and He and the Father and the Holy Spirit took care of that nonsense. Came back with the keys to death, hell and the grave. Ascended to the right hand of the Father after he spent a little time here. Sat down at the right hand of the Father. He had turned over all of his authority and power in this earth to us, the church. Now, we can do nothing apart from him, but we're never apart from him. He's always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That's his promise. I'll never forget the testimony of a great man of God, Kenneth Hagin. He said that one time he had a... I don't know if it was an open vision or a dream, but he was with the Lord. And Jesus had something important he was going to share with him. And as they were beginning to talk, standing not far from one another, this little, this little demon, like a little monkey, imp thing, you know, running across and making all this noise and chatter. And he couldn't hear what the Lord was saying. And... He kept wondering, why doesn't the Lord stop him? And he waited for him to do it. And finally, he never did. And he got so frustrated because he wanted so badly to hear what Jesus had to say to him. He told him, get out of here. And that thing took off. And Jesus told him, I'm glad you did that. Because if you hadn't, I couldn't. That was his testimony his whole life. Great revelation came through that, that Jesus had given us his authority. Matter of fact, look at the next scripture there. If you still have your Bible, look at chapter 10, the next scripture. And he called him 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. All the things he was doing, you see. And it goes on to name the apostles. Well, listen, that authority is yours now. And it is a relationship. God so wants so much to do wonderful things, to impart to us things we have never even thought of, he says in Jeremiah twenty nine. Wonderful things. But he's assuming some things on our part, and that is that we're walking in accordance with his will and in agreement with him for our lives. Romans twelve, one and two says it's the least we can do, it's our reasonable service. To God based on what Jesus has done for us. Is to submit ourselves to him. Present our bodies as a living sacrifice. On the altar of God. Renew our minds according to the word. Learn what's good for us. And believe it. The devil is really active. He is so upset in these times. As his time draws near. To be ended. He hates you. Because you love Jesus. He comes after you to steal from you. From your finances. From your health. From your marriage. From everything in your life that you care about. To kill you. And destroy you. For the sake of this that is in you. That's what the Bible says. It's for the word's sake that he comes after you. Today, when you leave here, the enemy will come immediately to try to steal this word from you so that it doesn't take root and bear fruit in your life. This is the only thing that can help you. There are lots of people that say they love the Lord, but just by means of what they vote for. Prove that they don't love the word and it's not it's it's an inconsistency that eventually will be judged and rooted out because we create a god of our imagination unless it lines up with the god of the word of god i <clears> 1 <throat> corinthians chapter 3 says that we are God's fellow workers, all ministers, all God's fellow workers working toward one goal for the kingdom of God. And and the church is God's field, his building, that we are building up all on the same foundation. And it encourages us all when he tells second in second Corinthians, he tells the Corinthians church as as God's fellow workers. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. And Paul says, the writer of Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 90, you think those 20 that were killed this morning in that little sleepy town south of here? So sad. And it's sad. It's sadder still that it, has not the first time that this has happened. But let me tell you something. For the last decade, 90,000 Christians a year have been killed in that way. 90,000. It's just not happening that much here yet. I'm telling you, God has shown me in prayer that as ISIS has is, ran out of Asia... The devil is so excited to get them into Africa where he can get into the hearts and minds of these young black men and then influence the ones here to be like-minded with their bitterness and anger and and think that that's a, a great thing to be a part of. And then what will you see in the streets of the United States? The church is the only hope for these young people. Not just young people. Everybody is believing the lies. Perpetuated by the tricks of the devil. And he's not coming as a big bad devil. He's coming out as an angel of light. This is good. This is good. Paul said that it, even the elect, the chosen, would be deceived in these end times if it were possible. Why isn't it possible? Because we love the Word. And if it doesn't line up with the Word, we say, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh. I don't care what kind of church or Christian they call themselves. I would say that, I don't even want to put a percentage on it, but Billy Graham, starting with him and all the way up to, to the, the great apostles of this current time in which we live in, which generally don't call themselves apostles, they don't have to, they're not hung up on titles but they do get the honor that they deserve just because they're awesome men and women of God but i would say that definitely more than half of those sitting in church faithful churchgoers are not even saved i'm not saying that to be mean i'm telling you it's something that has to be look paul says examine yourself he's talking to the church examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith It's so easy to fall into unbelief with the rest of our culture. I always tell people the enemy only has one goal, and that is to keep you from ever confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When that goal fails, he only has one more goal, and that is to keep you from effectively serving him. And if it can get you into a place of complacency. Because you see, when, when we don't want to line up. There's so many scriptures in here that says, oh, how, how you hated correction. How you hated to be told anything. But it says the, the, the blessed ones are the ones who love to be corrected by this word, by truth. In other words, if it's true, if, I don't care how much it hurts, give it to me. Now, now you might need to leave me alone for a minute, <laughs> meaning a week or something, I don't know, because I'm going to be praying about this. And if I know and I see that you're right, and I was so far off, I'm going to come back. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love my brother George for telling me, hey, Pastor, man, I. Psh, ah. I got to tell you, I think you're off right here. Not in doctrine, in my life, in the way I'm treating my wife or the way that I'm neglecting. You know, I'm always poor mouth and I ain't got nothing. And you say, man, are, are you giving? Are you doing what the words taught us? You know, the one that tells me the truth, it might be offensive, but if it's offensive, then I've got problems already because it's not the right of a Christian to be offended anymore. Jesus said he, there was a, there was a man who, who the king was, this man owed the king more money than he would ever be able to repay. And the king felt sorry for him and forgave him all of it. And then he walked right out of there and found somebody that owed him a few dollars and he began to choke him. And he said, give me some time. He said, no. And he said, you evil, wicked servant. You're going to the dungeon and you're not going to get out until you with repay every penny that you owed the king. And, and that's never. So it's just not our right anymore. And why? Because we're supposed to trust God. When, well, I'm offended. I have to let it go. I have to forgive. I have to love. Why? Because it's okay what they did to me? No. It's because I trust God. And he said, no, he doesn't miss anything. He's going to handle it in his time and his way. But as long as I have my eyes on them, he's going to keep his on me. That's what it says. So I'm going to get my eyes off of them just as quickly as I can. Father, I forgive them and I bless them in the name of Jesus. That just means I'm handing it over to him. And i say, now, what about me? This is the one he wants me to look at. He wants me to look at me. Line it up with the word. This is the mirror, the righteous mirror of God's word. This looks like Jesus. This looks like me, which is supposed to be being transformed to Jesus. Where I see it doesn't line up. I say, oh, I missed it right there again, Lord. Again. (laughs) Please forgive me. Let's go. Now forget about it. Don't bring it up again. He already forgot. He already forgot. I had a I had a dream. I was begging the Lord not to make me be a preacher. This was years ago. Been a preacher. Been gone ten years this month. Didn't want to do it. Are you sure? Are you sure, Lord? (laughs) Had a dream. A familiar place. A little courtyard of some apartments where I grew up. For a part of my childhood with my mom. And I'm there. And there's Jesus. Jesus. and we began to walk together across this courtyard Just walking with me Just taking me home Just walking with Jesus heading home no more worries no more cares but then I felt something an unction a knowing and I turned around just like this over my left shoulder and there was a a large group of people looking at me longing just like in the passage of scripture I opened up with like sheep without a shepherd I was going with Jesus And they were watching, like, what about, what about us? And I turned back to the Lord. I wanted him to address this issue, to say it's okay to, no, he just kept looking the way we were going. But he had a look, it was, he didn't have to say anything. I knew the answer was right there. There was a knowing. The answer to what I had been bothering him about was right there. If you don't do what I've called you to do, they won't be coming with us. I didn't have to ask again. There's my answer. It should be all of our answer. And I think oftentimes we think that, well, that's the preacher's job. But it's not really. I can show you, for lack of time, I won't today. But it says that my job is to raise you up for the work of the ministry. The church. The preacher should train up the church. So that they can do the work of the ministry. Authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. To heal every disease and every affliction. I want to encourage you today. To believe that you have a part to play And have you ever heard In sales There's a a term It's called the kiss Yeah Keep it short and sweet Or keep it simple stupid Have you ever heard that This is a big thing Among ministers uh, And amongst the whole world really we tend to overcomplicate things, and when we do, we get into areas that we don't—we're not that qualified to even be talking, talking about. But we do it anyway because we feel like we need to sound smarter or more knowledgeable than we are. When really, it wasn't necessary. You had me at hello. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> That's how it is with. With the gospel. It's the simplicity of the gospel. That has. That has confused. The wisdom of this world. The Bible says. Where are the wise. Of this world. We preach the foolishness. Of the cross. That's what the Bible says. Because the world thinks. That it's foolish. That God would come. And make himself a man. And allow himself to be treated. In such a way. Even the Muslims believe they can't deny that Jesus was here and that he was a great man. He's one of their prophets, although they kill people if they say they believe on him now. It's so wild how the devil gets so confused and corrupted in his own anger against Jesus. But they stopped short of saying he was the son of God and definitely that he didn't die on the cross. They couldn't justify that. That's why you'll always be angry. Without the death on the cross. Because without that sacrifice. You're going to have to. Measure up. To God's standard of holiness. You better be perfect. Or have a savior who is. Keep it simple. I started out pastor here there (laughs) went through some interesting times god called me away for a season of uh, instruction before we started grace and truth ministries and i just i would take these brown paper bags lunch sacks and put we couldn't afford much i'd put it we go to the dollar store to get toothbrush and Candy or a pack of those crackers you know and and staple it on top with the what I used to carry these Jesus loves you cards, and every year or so i 'd change the color just to give me something to get, be excited about, but I would take and staple those and have bags in my vehicle and just take off and go try to find somebody to give one to and I had a ministry of these Jesus loves you cards, and i 'd put them on gas pumps I'd put them. I give them in the grocery store. I give them at the checkout at the counter. Everywhere I was and anytime the Lord led me. And you know, it's not easy. Anyone who decides to live for the Lord will suffer persecution. That's why Jesus, uh, that's why the devil wants to talk you out of it. He's going to kill some Christians over here in a church to keep you from going to church. He's going to. He's going to have you persecuted uh, amongst your friends and your own family, by your own spouse, or loved ones. Who do you think you are? Some kind of Christian you are. You're nothing. To keep you from proclaiming him and living for him and and working toward that goal. Because when you suffer that persecution and he's going to hit you, if he's got a string he can pluck in your heart, that's where he's going to do it. Because that's the one most compelling to you to keep you just go ah, oh, you know what? You're right. Just blend in now with the world again. Go back. Go back to Egypt. Be like everybody else. Jesus said, you put your hands to that plow. And you look back. You're not worthy for the kingdom of God. So I'd give those cards out, <laughs> and sometimes I'd go back to the same gas pump, and they'd be there for weeks and weeks, and, and sometimes they'd have a big FU written on them or something like that, hateful stuff, have people call me on the phone, I had my phone number on these, my real number, people would call and say grotesque things, and we were in New Orleans one time on a ministry trip. Gave one to a guy in Cafe Du the waiter. He spit. <laughs> threw the car down and stomped on it and spit. And girl, he was so angry. Boy, you ever want to body slam somebody. But I just loved him. The Holy Spirit gave me grace for that moment. But then there are also times... Maybe at a Walgreens at the cashier where you just hand it over and say nothing. And those three words would just cause someone to break into tears and just fall apart right there before the Lord. Just needing to hear those three words. Yeah, there were several examples like she's talking about now where someone we may have very well. The Lord prevented people from taking their own lives. We had a guy come to our church one time who had been in a motel room about to commit suicide and happened to dig through his wallet for something and found one of the cards and decided not to do it. And uh, ended up in the church with his whole family, his children, his wife. So there's always good things. Time is refreshing and good things come from it. But it's not all a bed of roses but it's necessary just think if we see one of those people in heaven that wouldn't have been there otherwise and obviously there are going to be many and i say the same thing goes for you i'm not special in god's eyes it's just that i have to be seeking him for a word like we talked about last week about how to receive a word from god i was rece- i was seeking him for a word when i got these words and if it was good for me it's good for you I would say you could just interchange yourself on that walk right there and look back and, and, and you'd be surprised who you would see if you decide not to live for Jesus and to talk about him. Just encouraging people and others to, to come to know Jesus and telling Him what, telling them what he's done for you. That's the greatest sermon some people will ever hear. That, there are people that you will touch in your life and you will be able to get through to that no one else ever will. I don't care how great a preacher they are. They will never know that person. And they, Even if they heard them, it wouldn't penetrate like you'll have access to that person's heart. And God will give you special doors of opportunity in people's lives where you can get his truth in. Just the love of God for them. Just enough to cause them, to give them the faith. His words are filled with faith. And it's given them enough faith to believe. And then the discipleship part is up to them. It's not about the quantity of our work, but the quality. That's a very, very important thing. I wouldn't be standing right here today if it weren't true. But it is. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Acts, Romans, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. See, it's, it's <laughs> this is nothing new. This goes back 2,000 years in the church, and he's talking, too, that this was a letter to the Corinthian church. So... I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready. And even now you're not ready for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when, when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Oh, I'm in the wrong book. Sorry, y'all. I love this, though. If I could just... <laughs> but read, check, read verse nine. <laughs> We're all God's fellow workers. Go over to Second Corinthians. I was in the wrong book. Second Corinthians, not First Corinthians. Three. No, no, that was right. Three. We just weren't far enough. First Corinthians chapter three, thirteen. I was thinking it was three, three. First Corinthians chapter three verse 13 i'm sorry that's where he starts out in nine saying for we are all god's fellow workers but go down to verse 13 each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done the quality not the quantity you see what i'm saying The quality, not the quantity. Jesus had opportunities to minister to thousands at a time. And wonderful things happened in some of those events. But the ones that stand out the most in my heart, mind, were those tender moments, those special moments, those individual moments. Remember the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus had a lot going on at the time. He was heading to Jerusalem for the big event. But he traveled through Samaria, which Jews didn't even go there. They hated one another. Because, I believe, because he had this appointment, the Father drew him to this well in Samaria to see this woman who was so down. She had to go get water in the middle of the day to avoid the other women. And he told her all about her life and said, "Go get your husband." She said, "I don't have one." He said, "I know. You've had you've had four or five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband." But she went and told everybody. About Jesus. And they. Many of them believed. And were saved. Jesus. Healed ten lepers one time remember. But the most amazing thing about the story of healing the ten lepers. Is really about one of them isn't it. Because only one came back to tell him thank you for what he had done. And this is the one that was saved. The others were healed. This one was healed and saved. What about the, my favorite passage of scripture? The breakfast on the beach with Peter. Imagine what that did for Peter. After denying the Lord three times. Here he causes him and makes him admit to loving him three times. He asked him three times, do you love me? Every time he told him he loved him, he undid one of those denials, you see. Being restored after doing such a terrible thing and hating himself so much and feeling the condemnation he did. We're lucky that he made it that far and didn't go do what Judas did. But he didn't and Jesus restored him. And can you imagine in all the sermons that Peter preached from that day till his last when he was crucified upside down alongside his wife because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner of his lord he wasn't worthy he said so he asked them to do that but i can imagine the most compelling moments in the lives of new believers was when he shared with them that experience of how jesus had restored him that morning on the beach I'm trying to convey to you that these little moments, these private moments with people in your life they're going to be the most rewarding. That's where I have had the most rewarding experiences of my ministry. One-on-one, I love preaching. It doesn't matter if it's 5,000 or 5 but The ones where I can literally see the Spirit of God penetrating. And and sometimes that's in a large group, but it's just one person. And I can see them. I saw it with Ashley. I've seen it with George. I've seen it with John. I've seen it with all of you really different times. But those, those private times when the Lord is just using me to speak to someone He loves. It's just beautiful. And he wants to do that through you guys. There's one more and then I'm just going to be done today. Look at Luke chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 8. Remember the man of the Gadarenes? That's what I call him the demoniac the, the man that uh, Jesus healed that had a legion of demons in him Luke chapter 8 verse 26 Jesus had sailed all the way across the the sea and this is when he landed he set foot and I believe he knew that this man was going to be there then they sailed verse 26 Luke chapter 8. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. I have a story, I I think it's in my book, about the Lord is approaching the shore of your graveyard home. This is what it's about. And he said, Legion, for we, for many demons had entered him. So this is the devil. This is the demon speaking through the man to the Lord. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter into these. So he gave them permission. These pigs were unclean to the Jews. And these people that were raising them were using them for not only food, but also uh, sacrifices to their demon god and jesus knew that so he let all these demons go into this herd of pigs the pigs ran down the hill and drowned themselves in the lake (laughs) and they got mad and ran him off (laughs) Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let him enter into these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, (laughs) afraid because this wonderful thing had happened. And those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Here's the scripture, the two scriptures I was trying to get to. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is all that Jesus is asking of us today. If you don't think that... uh, That you've been uh, helped as much as that man who lived there in the tombs has you wrong. (laughs) If you have Jesus, you have been helped in just that way. Maybe some of us need a little bit more of that help (laughs) to be totally free. But Jesus has entered into you. He has cast out the spirit of iniquity that did abide in you and that fallen seed that you received from Adam and Eve. And you're free. And he would encourage you today to go and tell everyone what Jesus has done for you. It's the best sermon somebody's ever going to hear. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you, Lord, for this simple but profound message. We ask that you help us to dwell on these truths and to take them as our own. And be compelled to go and tell everyone how much you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.